I would love to have you take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 5. And that is where we will be here very shortly. Uh, One of the great contributions that Chuck Swindoll gave to the Christian community through these years is that he is a fantastic storyteller. And a number of years ago, I read a story from this little book, one of his earlier books. Uh, In fact, this particular copy, rather beat up, published in 1981, uh, one of the first books in my library. I used to have a little sticker on it. Uh, 40 years ago. There's a story that's kind of stuck with me uh, through the years, and I knew right where to turn to find it, because it leads us to this text. So um, rather than me telling his story, I'm just going to read a couple paragraphs here, and you'll see how this helps us get to Hebrews chapter 5. But but hear him as he he asks you, he says, to play Let's Pretend. He says, let's pretend that you work for me. In fact, you are my executive assistant in a company that's growing rapidly. I'm the owner, and I'm interested in expanding overseas. To pull this off, I'll make plans to travel abroad and stay there under, until the new branch office gets established. I make all the arrangements to take my family uh, in the move to Europe for six to eight months, and I will leave you in charge of the busy stateside organization. I tell you that I will write to you regularly and give you direction and instructions, and I must say, 1981... You understand, snail mail is inherent in the text. Please forgive him, and for a couple of other little stereotypical things typical of the day, just don't go there. So he says, uh, I leave and you stay, months pass, a flow of letters are mailed from Europe and received by you at the national headquarters. I spell out all my expectations. Finally, I return. Soon after my arrival, I drive down to the office. I am stunned. Grass and weeds have grown grown high. A few windows along the street are broken. I walk into the receptionist room, and she is doing her nails, chewing gum, and listening to her favorite, he says, disco station. It's 1981, all right? I look around and notice the wastebaskets are overflowing. The carpet hasn't been vacuumed for weeks, and nobody seems concerned that the owner has returned. I ask about your whereabouts, and someone in the crowded, the crowded lounge area uh, points down the hall and says, I think he's down there. Disturbed, I move in that direction and bump into you as you're finishing a chess game with our sales manager. I ask you to step into my office, which has been temporarily turned into a television room for watching afternoon soap operas. What in the world is going on? What do you mean, Chuck? He says, well, look at this place. Didn't you get any of my letters? Letters? Oh, yeah, I got all of them. As a matter of fact, Chuck, we've had letter study every Friday night. We've even divided all the personnel into small groups. And we discuss many of the things you've written. Some, some of those things are really quite interesting. You'll be pleased to know that a few of us have actually committed to memory some of your sentences and paragraphs. One or two have memorized entire letters. Great stuff in those letters. Okay, okay, you got my letters. You studied them and meditated on them, discussed them, and even memorized them. But what did you do about them? That's what today's text is about. It's not just about hearing. It's about doing. Specifically, God's Word. So, um... 
I want to say to us, um, in good biblical language, gird up your loins, ladies and gentlemen, because today's text is uh, something of a two-by-four right between the eyes. It's not intended to be mean. It's intended to be kind as we hear and receive God's word. I'd love to pray for us, and we'll go to the text. Our Father, how good it is uh, to come with God's people and open the word of God. How we need this. And Father, I pray that we would gladly receive what is here today, even the notes, maybe especially the notes of rebuke, knowing they come to us from the hand of a loving God. So Father, we bring you ourselves today as eager worshipers in hearing and responding to your word. Help us now, in Jesus' name, amen. Your sermon notes, of course, are what will guide us along the way here. Uh, a couple notes of review, but if you look with me at the section called today's text, I just want to give you some idea of what's going on in the flow here of our study. book of Hebrews, of course, is a, is a lifting up of Jesus Christ and uh, the writer presenting Christ in all of his offices as prophet, priest, and king, and intending to encourage the recipients. That's the idea. It's an encouragement uh, by looking at Christ. And along the way, as we have seen throughout the book of Hebrews, there are numerous, numerous uh, warnings, warning texts that are intended to sober us up and, and cause our hearts to hear. And that's where we're going now. We just got warmed up last week in looking at Christ as our greater high priest. And in today's text, I can just picture the writer is getting maybe a little glassy-eyed, or he sees you, and he says, uh-oh, they're going for donuts and coffee. This is a problem. We're just getting talking about some good stuff, and he's going to... It's like he steps out of the flow of the argument in today's text to say, okay, Christ, our great prophet and priest and high king and so on, um, time out. Let's talk. And so he's going he's gonna to digress for, the, for this section and then most of chapter 6. So he doesn't come back to Christ as our high priest in this business about Melchizedek till later in chapter 6 in the beginning of chapter 7. It's going to take us three sermons. So I just want to tell you, these three uh, today, uh, we'll hear from Matt Ritchie next week. And then there's Palm Sunday, Easter, and then another uh, day that we're going to do something else on the 11th of April. Uh, That's our 50th anniversary as a church, even though we're not going to celebrate it big just yet. But we'll do some things together. Then the next sermon after that, Pastor Tyler will have that. But these three, all of them are, are sobering. And if you don't receive them that way, it's because you're not hearing it. So I'm just giving you a heads up. All right. Uh, So Hebrews, I want to read then starting at verse seven so that you'll get a flow of the text. And then our main focus today will be verses 11 to 14 of chapter 5. So let me read the word of God as as we hear it together. God's word. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son He learned obedience through what he suffered. 
And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. About this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Wow. You like that? For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And there's our text for the day. Just a few verses, but oh my, this is a sobering call. On your sermon notes, you'll notice a couple of things. Uh, The problem addressed in verse 11, I comment on briefly in the section called today's text. He says the problem is that the readers have become dull or sluggish or spiritually lazy. I didn't make up any of those words. Those are all words used in various translations, probably in this room. Dull, sluggish, lazy in their spiritual life. And you notice they have become this. They have not always been this. So it's as if the writer is saying to, his, who, to, these, to these readers, there was a time when you pursued Christ with greater vigor than you do today. There was a time when you were more spiritually sensitive than you are now. There was a time when you, are, you were more obedient than you are now. What happened, friend? What happened? And, and where are you? This is friend to friend. This is a text of accountability. It's a friend saying, hey, can we talk? What's going on with you? And I'm not sure I like what I see. You used to be here, and I, man, where are you? This is, a, this is a, a, a letter from a true friend, isn't it? It's much easier to just say, hey, how about those mariners? And boy, spring is coming, and it's wonderful, and let's just keep it on the surface. This is a friend who knows you well enough and cares about you enough to risk saying something personal. So where are you anyway, man? Spiritually. Because I thought you were here, and you're not. Man, this is a deal. You're sluggish, dull, spiritually lazy. Now, you'll notice, as I note there in the parenthetical note, uh, the same term kind of brackets this section. It's used again in chapter 6, verse 12. So it's, it's they're kind of like bookends. Sluggishness, laziness. So he, he, he uses that term twice. Uh, I I think, to emphasize something. So there are three things I want to say, and I have them spelled out for you there uh, under those three headings. The first is that spiritual growth is expected for true believers. If you are truly born again by the Spirit of God, genuinely saved, know Christ is your Savior, Scripture anticipates that you will be growing. Now, I got it. Different different, uh, uh, paces for different people, different seasons of our life. I, I get it. But moving forward not moving backward. Scripture assumes this of you. 
if you are truly a child of God, because of the work of the Spirit of God using the Word of God. This is, this is an assumption in, in Scripture, as it is here. Verse 12, though by this time, he says, you, you ought to be at a different place spiritually. This is accountability. This is, an, this is spiritual accountability, and most of us don't like this. Most of us, as I note here, I, I'm just saying this is often it. We often respond with a defensive spirit. If not inwardly, or sorry, outwardly, then inwardly. A friend addresses something, and maybe outwardly we're saying, oh, share with me. But inside we're saying, and who asked you? How dare you get that close? What do you think you're doing? Who do you think you are? Or our favorite today, don't judge me. Right? So maybe outwardly we're smiles, but inwardly we've got our hands up and we're saying, uh, 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 what are you doing? Spiritual accountability from somebody who knows us, who knows us enough to say what's going on. How are you? Are you lost in there? Or can, how can I help? How can I pray? Listen, this is an action of a friend, not an enemy. Okay? Scripture assumes progress forward. Now, I note here, quickly, of course, I agree, people do grow spiritually at different rates. Um, I, I know that. It's kind of like if you're raising kids, there are a lot of analogies in this text to the process of parenting. Your kids go through growth spurts, don't they? Man, you think, what in the world happened? Nothing fits you anymore. You stick them up there against the wall where you have little marks, you know. You grew three inches? Good night, man. I don't know, too many Flintstones vitamins or something like that. That's those vitamins they spray on the cereal these days. That's the problem. But a, a growth spurt. And sometimes spiritually we grow more rapidly. Often it's during times of stress and difficulty, isn't it? Where we cling to Christ more. We, we are aware of how much we need him. So I, I know we grow at different paces. Sometimes it's more plodding along. It's okay. Sometimes we're more spiritually hungry. I get it. Okay? But, but progress is assumed in the text. Though by this time, you, he says you ought to be teachers. Now, again, I, I mentioned here in front of you um, uh, on, the, on the study sheet, being a teacher, the way that's used in the text, it's not intending to say that everyone is going to be an upfront person teaching, like uh, in a classroom or something. That isn't the idea. Uh, that formal active teaching in, in mind here is more that that secondary active teaching. That is, you know your faith enough to be able to explain it to somebody else. That's the idea. By this time, you ought to know a little more about your faith. That I'd be able to percolate through your life a little more. You should be able to explain it somehow. And and right now, you're just kind of kind of sitting there. So what's up? And there's accountability going backward, if you will. Not forward. Now, 12a then is that statement. Uh, second half of 12 and into verse 13, and I suppose uh, heading into verse 14, this second heading, and I, I want to I be very direct here. Spiritual growth requires more than truth plus time. I want to talk about this because I think that's our assumption. I think that's the assumption in a lot of Christian circles, maybe even in our own church. There are popular myths about spiritual growth. There are probably a lot more than these four, but here are four. Uh, one is that spiritual growth equals Bible knowledge. 
or as I have here, Bible knowledge alone. Um, of course, I'm spiritually mature. I can, I mean, look how much I know of the Bible. I've got the 10-year perfect attendance pin for Sunday school, for goodness sakes. I, I, man, come on. I know the names of all the apostles. I can give you the books of the Bible in order. And, I, you know, come on. I've been reading my Bible for years. What do you mean I'm not spiritually mature? I know more about this than you do. The myth that's being surfaced here is that if you know a bunch, if you know a lot, you're, you're, you're a spiritually mature person. Not true. Did you know that? Not disparaging spiritual knowledge. It's like the, like the really, really smart kid uh, who's, who's 10, has an IQ of like, you know, 500, and is a graduate of college at age 10. What, are you going to send him out into the real world? Oh, no, 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 no. It doesn't matter about your IQ or what you know. You're 10. Now go make your bed. Isn't that the way it is? I hear about these, these little boys and girls sometimes that are you know, child prodigies and know so much. Like, I'm not going to send that kid to college. Not a chance in the world. No way, man. He needs to stay home and learn how to brush his teeth, man. No, knowledge alone. Knowledge alone does not make a person spiritually mature. If you know a lot of the Bible, don't get yourself all proud about that. You can know a lot and be a spiritual child. Do you know that? Second, Spiritual maturity, this is a myth, equals life experience or time in the church. You know, like I've done my time. I've been a Christian for, fill in the blank here, 45 years, 25 years, a long time, ever since I can remember. Been going to church for years. Of course I'm spiritually mature. Really? I don't have to give examples of people you've known and I've known who hung out at church for a long time and they were the crankiest orneriest people you'd ever set eyes on did not exude the spirit of Christ one lick, but they'd been there for 58 years. Yeah. No, to time in. No, that, that, what do you get a star for that? No, that's a myth. Third myth that spiritual maturity equals possession of certain spiritual gifts. This is a favorite in some church circles that a person who has a certain spiritual gift uh, is automatically spiritually mature, right? Uh, this person's a gifted, whatever, amazing, amazing teacher. Well, may I say, you may be a gifted whatever it is, but not ready to exercise that gift or ability because you make a mess everywhere you go, right? I, I think about that in my circles a bit. Um, a, a young pastor coming out of Bible college or seminary may be an amazing preacher, gifted in the pulpit. But guess what? <laughs> if you don't know how to push a vacuum or set up chairs when nobody's watching, maybe you need a few years in the school of hard knocks before you get yourself a pulpit. Because you just might be there for six months and people say, man, you preach well, but you don't care a lick about people. And you're not going to last, are you? So gifted, gifted. You can be gifted all you like and not be a spiritually mature person. Something to think about. I, I face it sometimes. This person's at your church now. They're extremely gifted at. Well, I don't just automatically go, wonderful. You're now in charge of what? Eh, okay, I'm going to get to know you. I don't know you at all. And then, then we'll see about that. Spiritual maturity, fourth, fourth myth, that spiritual maturity equals outward conformity I think this is kind of fun. In looks or vocabulary. You know, what do I mean by this? 
All right. This is this is the assumption that, you know, a young guy comes in and his hair's kinda everywhere and, you know, dressed young. I'll leave it at that. People look at him and go, needs to grow. And then he comes back a week later, he's got himself a little haircut, carrying a big Bible, and say, Man, look at this. He's now he's dressed like a Christian. Seriously, people. Right? No, we would never think like that, but he's got the looks, or she's got the looks. I've got this I've got a Christian car now. What do I mean? I mean I used to have the muscle car with the radar detector. Think, why do you have a radar detector on the dash? Are you planning to speed? Oh no, 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 no. I'm not planning to break the law. It's just there to 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 Yes, I'm planning to speed. So I traded that in for a minivan. Or a little four-banger. I've got a Christian car now. There you go. I would never speed in this. Christian looks. Christian car. I remember, many of you, the day when things like uh, different hair color or tattoos or piercings, that that equaled, oh dear, probably not a good Christian. I'm grateful to see people getting over that. Because you can be as untattooed and whatever, 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 and be the most arrogant little rascal you'd ever hope to see. Congratulations, you're not pierced, but maybe you should be. Huh? Take you down a notch or two in humility. How about Christian vocabulary? Is that one of our measures of maturity, too? You come into church and somebody says, hey, how are you? And you smile a bit and you say, blessed. Now, if you answer that way, I'm not picking on you. But must you say that? I say, how was your week? Well, it was a, it was a, it was a week of, of, of sanctification. Is that, is that it? Um, no. Looks, terms, got the right lingo down. Christianese, they call it. Quite adept. Doesn't equal spiritual maturity. What's missing? Well... There's probably a lot of things, too, I think, that are inherent in this text. One is a humble heart that responds to the Spirit of God who loves to use the Word of God. A humble heart. Uh, I, I, I think that's inherent in the text because the writer is saying some very, very blunt things and hoping that the hearers will receive it with humility and grace. A humble heart that hears a rebuke and is willing to respond it takes humility to hear a rebuke, doesn't it? It takes humility to respond with grace if a friend says, hey, what's going on with you? You okay? Talk to me. No, it takes humility. So I believe, I believe the, the, the writer is, is calling for this. And a second element is thick, thicker skin. Thicker skin, oh, please hear this. Being easily offended is a mark of immaturity. You want to percolate on that a little bit? Do we or do we not live in an offended culture? Everybody's offended. We're offended about everything. You looked at me wrong, I'm offended. You expressed an opinion about whatever, we disagree on something, well, you're wrong and I'm offended. Everybody's offended and it does not stop at the church doors. It isn't just them. Sometimes we are easily offended people. And frankly, there's a lot to be offended about, isn't there? I mean, come on, folks. So how must I respond? I mean, the writer is getting very specific here about some things and eager for them to hear it, 
hear it well. I want to I want to go over here. I mentioned ever read First Corinthians. I want to just mention a, a brief text from First Corinthians three. Um, I have told you that I don't believe that Hebrews was written by Paul, though some of you do think that. That's fine. We can not be offended by that. Um, But I think it's clear they knew each other. I suspect Hebrews was written by somebody in the apostolic group who clearly knew Timothy, as you see in Hebrews 13. And uh, I wonder from 1 Corinthians 3 if Paul and the writer to Hebrews have had a conversation. Maybe they met at Starbucks, but here you go. 1 Corinthians 3 then, the first four verses, says this, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Even now you're not ready, for you're still of the flesh. For well, there's, watch this, jealousy and strife. Those are marks, you see, marks of immaturity. Where there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? He's speaking here to a church where there's jealousy and strife and division. Highly gifted, by the way, if you've studied 1 Corinthians, we preached through this a couple of years ago. Highly gifted, all the spiritual gifts, very evident in the church. And he says, you are babies, gifted all day long, if you like. Spiritual babies, because in your midst, jealousy, strife, polarization, verse 4. When one says, I follow Paul, and another, well, I follow Apollos. Are you not merely human? He's referencing, again, a text from earlier in the book where some say, I follow Peter. I follow Christ. I just stick with Jesus. Oh, the real spiritual ones. Division, offense. Can you imagine and in this, in this case, Paul calls it out. And he says, where there's jealousy and strife among you, uh, are you not of the flesh and behaving like only in a human way? In other words, spiritual babies. So he's, he's, he's drawing a connection to immature relationships, to immature attitudes, behavior where the gospel has not somehow shown its light. And he says, no, no, you can know all you like, be gifted all day long, and be a spiritual baby. Because the word of God has not trickled through that part of your life. You have not, you've not practiced that in obedience. We'll talk about that. Now come back to Hebrews with me, if you would. So I'm saying those two marks of maturity, I think, are, in, are, are, are inherent in this text. Now, in verse 12b, then, he says to them, you need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is, is unskilled. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say he's unaware of the word of righteousness. He says unskilled, that you haven't practiced it. You develop skill by practicing something. He says if you live on milk, you're unskilled in the word of righteousness because you're a child. Solid food is for the mature, those who have their powers of discernment trained, as we head into verse 14. So I mentioned here in this, in this uh, category, the call to return to the milk of God's word is not because they'd forgotten the facts about the Bible. No, they were unskilled at using it. They, were, they, they knew more than they had ever practiced. And, you know, again, you, you will not ever hear me telling you not to study the Bible. I'm a huge fan of knowledge and study and learning. But I will be also the quick to, quick to say to us, that knowledge and facts and learning and books are not the only thing you need. You need to do, you need to do what you know. I, I, um, 
I was raised in a church setting like many of you where, again, I'm not against any of these practices, only if they're missing the obedience element. But I remember the day, and we do some of these same things now, of course. You go to Sunday school, and you have a wonderful class on a particular topic. You go to church, worship service, and you hear a sermon on another topic. And then you, back in the day, you went to midweek Bible study and prayer and got a new topic. And then you did your own Bible study on another topic. And if you were really, really spiritual, you had your Christian radio station on, and you listened to John MacArthur and Chuck Swindoll and all the other favorite people all week long. I mean, you just kind of pack it all in. Nothing wrong with any of that. I'm simply saying you can be educated biblically beyond your experience. And if all you do is know it and you don't do it, the writer here says, hey, friend, you've grown about that much. You know a lot. I remember thinking about some of these applicational things uh, when we first began to welcome children into our home Um, I was just finishing seminary. If you know some of those things, you hit a graduate school, and you're going to work your tail off. And you're going to study, and you're going to read big old thick books. And we, yeah, that's what we did. Right about as I finished seminary, (laughs) this is wonderful. This is great. Um, Thank you. I'm, I'm not bothered by a child. It provides wonderful backdrop to what we're talking about here, doesn't it? (laughs) This was good. Finishing seminary, we were welcoming babies into our home. And I remember the, the being aware of the jolt, the shift that I needed to make. From piles of books to putting the books down and getting your little self on the floor with a child. Right? That God's plan for my life at that moment as a dad was... Study less theology and sit on the floor and play shoots and ladders the wrong way because that's how they learn, isn't it? They just move it all around. And you're busy going, no, no, we go up the left, up the, never mind. How would you like me to play? Uh, that's what you do for years. You know, we're going to play checkers. All right, just what are the rules tonight? I mean, you try, but the kid's three. Sure, we'll just do this. The most spiritual thing you can do at that moment is to be on the floor with your child. That's kind of what's going on here in the text. Is you have you have people who, who they know some stuff, but they're, they're, the problem isn't that they don't know things. It's that they're not doing what they know. He says you're unskilled, unpracticed in the word of righteousness. It isn't that you don't know it. You don't need to go to another study and fill in some more blanks. You need to start doing what you know. That's the idea here in the text. So I'm saying under this heading, spiritual growth requires more than truth plus time. Okay, more than that. So that moves us to the next category. I mean, what's missing? Truth plus time. That's what most of us think. Truth plus time, automatically you grow up, right? Wrong. No, spiritual growth requires truth, time, and humble daily obedience. You got to do it. You got to practice this. And it isn't glamorous often. Is it? Parenting is one of the least glamorous things out there, isn't it? That'll humble you like nobody's business. It is very unglamorous to do the daily stuff of helping a child cut their meat, wipe their nose, pick up their stuff, and guess what we're going to do tomorrow? The same thing for years. Man. 
I was thinking about the yearly part of this. I was reading a story in a magazine we got from Johnny and Friends. Uh, Johnny and Friends, of course, an organization that works with people of all kinds of different abilities. And it was telling the story of a, of a family who had uh, welcomed uh, a, a special needs child into the world, spina bifida, and all kinds of needs and his limitations and so on. And he it tells his whole life uh, now as he had gone to be with Jesus. And just th- reflecting on the 26 years God had given him to the family. And the mom was thinking it through and, 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 and reflecting and and she was just doing some calculations, and I think her number was, I think I changed, she had a number for this, 77,000 diapers. Think about that in 26 years. 77,000. I don't know how she knew that. She kept track, or if it was just a, an estimate based on days. That, that, she didn't just study it. She did it for 26 years uh, you want to talk about some some depth of maturity yeah okay that came day by day by day daily a humble obedience now if you you look at the text and my notes here i'm calling out a specific word right solid food is for those who are mature for those who have their powers of discernment there it is trained trained and i mention here think gym I put in the in the parentheses, and I mention that because the term that is used in the text is a form of the word from which we get our word gymnasium. And lest you think I am importing our modern gymnasium idea back into the text, I am not, because if you know your history, you know that in the first centuries, there were, in fact, gymnasiums. There were. Uh, different from today, but the basic idea of a gymnasium where people did physical exercise and trained, in the very least, for the games, right? So these were places marked by sweat and grunting and groaning and somebody yelling at you, kind of like now, huh? If you went to a gym to get a workout and all somebody did was sit you down and talk to you and you left, what kind of a workout would you get? I mean, don't you, come on, don't you have to sweat a little bit in a gym? You're supposed to. A few sore muscles. If there's no sweat and there's, you know, you never kind of push a little bit. What's it? What do they say? No. Yeah, no pain, no gain. Do a little bit of PT, right, John? Uh huh. Sure. Hey, that hurts. Good, they say. And you think, hey, it's my foot. Leave it alone. No, trained. That, that's the that's the nature of the progress. Who who have their powers of discernment trained. And yes, I would suggest the writer uses his term on purpose. Uh, trained, gym, the gym idea. That's how they're going to grow, is by diligent exercise of what you know to be true, even to the point of hurting a bit. It, it, sometimes it does hurt a little bit to do what is right. I mentioned here on your notes, think about this with me, learning to see danger and then move to a place of safety is one way we measure a child's growth, isn't it? That is being trained to distinguish good from evil. Uh, you don't really let a child out by himself or herself till you know they can recognize danger and get out of there. Take care of themselves. That means dangerous situations. It means large buses coming down the road. It means dangerous people, dangerous settings. The other day, I was driving down um, Emerson, that little dip as you come down toward Orchard, and it, traffic was heavy, and I just remember, you know, you drive, and you don't really think, 
And out of my, the corner of my eye, I noticed a, a little kid on a bike. And he struck me as about six. And about a block later, my brain said, wait, 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 hold on. Yeah, where's the adult? There was nobody with him. He's sitting on a sidewalk right next to a busy road. And I, I, it would have been a long time till I could have turned around and got out and gone back. But right away, I was thinking, he, somebody, there should be a big brother or somebody, and I couldn't see. And I felt like an irresponsible person. But I, I should have stopped and said, hey, um, hey, buddy, um, anybody with you? Who's watching? Eyes on your six. What are you doing next to a busy road? I don't know who trusted him out there. And I hope somebody was nearby, maybe behind, hiding behind something that I couldn't see. But it caught my eye because I thought, I'm not sure this is okay. I'm not sure he's old enough to have been trained to discern safety and not. And, and part of, again, part of what this text is about is, is, is the measure of maturity here is discernment to know this is good, this isn't good. I'm not doing right here. I am doing right here to see what's safe or not safe and get yourself in the right direction. That's a measure of maturity unskilled in the word of righteousness, yet yeah, you're not practicing it in this area. It doesn't mean you're not a good person. It means there's an area for you to grow. I hope you don't hear it otherwise. The text is not saying you're a bad person or you're not a Christian. It's saying, hey, when there are areas where you need to grow, this text is about, hey, let's face it, let's call it out, and let's move forward here. The goal of this text isn't to make you feel bad. It's to motivate you to, to, to kind of grow in some areas. That's the idea here. Wow, I mentioned here in your notes, every parent knows that raising kids is messy, often painful. How am I doing? Time-consuming and full of mistakes and even willful disobedience. Wow. Is that a depressing sentence? (laughs) It's not intended to be. It's intended to be a statement of reality. It's also how adults grow. Adults grow. Sometimes we're messy. Sometimes it's painful and time-consuming. Um, If you watch children play, what happens when one two-year-old scoots over and takes a toy from the other two-year-old? I'm sure if it's your child, because your child is extra mature, your child will say, oh, no problem, I love sharing. Isn't that right? That's what you've trained them to do. No, child number one, who just now is absent a toy, knows enough, because they're a little sinner. You know this. I mean, I like your kids. Just saying. Uh, they're going to scream and call bloody murder and go after the toy or the kid. Give me that back. You have a little two-year-old. Fortunately, kids grow out of that, don't they? Actually, may I suggest we still do it. We just get better at it. Sometimes we smile and we get them later. I'm not sure we've outgrown any of it. Mine, you stepped on me. You took my stuff. Hmm. I'll be back. You'll never know. Let's see when, but you'll know why. I'm not going to talk to you for days. There's all kinds of things we do when we feel offended. Spiritual growth requires truth. Yes, it does. Time, absolutely. And humble daily obedience that's often messy and difficult and painful and humbles us. Two common obstacles. Think about this with me. Two common obstacles that get in the way of our proud hearts. And I said that on purpose because this is arrogance. It is pride. Oh, it's pride. Lord, help my proud heart. If you think you don't struggle with pride, 
That's because you're proud, too proud to see it. Our failure or refusal to see ourselves as others see us. If you see that, whatever it is in me, it's because you don't see me correctly. Is that true? Well, maybe. It's also possible that other people see us better than we know. And we're the ones who are saying, oh, no, 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 no. That's a, that's a pride thing. Uh, second obstacle, our skill at developing reasons. I say excuses for our immature behavior. You don't understand. There's reasons why I, you're, there are reasons why I do this. Do you know how stressful my job is? Any idea at all? Come on. Am I not allowed one little area? I mean, one little area, right, where I'm not all perfect like you? How about that? You know, you may think I have an anger problem. You do not understand. I'm Irish. Isn't that good? No, 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 no. I am not as impatient as you think. This is my way of motivating people. Mm-hmm. Wow. No, the only reason I haven't really forgiven that person is because they're not mature enough to have come to me to talk about it. Yeah, how am I doing? No, you don't understand. You don't understand. I'm only this way because of all the idiots around me. I've tried to change. I was born this way. I've always been this way. Actually, it's my parents' fault. You don't understand. This, I, how, how could I be any different? I learned this at home. It's pretty hard to change. Or you can't teach... How many more excuses do we have for areas that need to change and we want to keep them? And this text is the two by four that says, hey, friend, you're a child of God. You're born again. Truly a believer in Jesus. Progress is assumed. And the spirit of God will use the word of God and the people of God <clears throat> to come along in a loving way and help us to grow. If you look at that section called Responding to God's Word, this text is a call toward greater growth, toward pursuit of spiritual maturity, greater maturity in your Christian life and character. Maybe you've been measuring your spiritual progress strictly in terms of knowledge. I want to grow as a Christian, so I need to learn more. Maybe you do. Not against that. But I'll tell you what, for sure, you better practice what you learn. You better learn how to receive rebukes, accountability, and respond in humility, and ask the Spirit of God to help you learn. That's what you better do. You're going to spend the rest of your life with that same area of difficulty that somebody's tired of, probably, if anybody loves you. You hear what I'm saying? Because somebody does. And what you're going to have is you're going to be like the road crew where there's a bump in the road, big old hole. Instead of sending out a team to fix it, they send out a road crew to put up a sign that says, yeah, bump. Instead of fixing the road. We hate it with a road crew. But we accept it from ourselves. Speed bump ahead. Just warning you. We have a lot to think about. We have a lot to think about. One writer says this, and I'll close with this. The path to maturity 
into solid biblical food is not first becoming an intelligent person, but becoming an obedient person. That's something to think about. I want to pray for us. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for me. Would you stand with me? Let's do that. Our Father, we come to this text and those that follow uh, sobered because the writer is sobered and daring to address his readers in very serious manner about big topics. And our Father, I pray that we would be spiritually minded enough to look into the, the mirror of the Word of God and with a humble heart to say, Oh God, change me, lead me, humble me, guide me. Help me to see myself as you see me, as others indeed see me. And then with, with, with the work of the Spirit of God and a great dose of humility, Oh Father, help me to take a step forward. Help me, help me. I thank you for giving us people who love us enough to point things out. Thank you for moments of accountability as they are indeed painful. Grow us, our Father, that Christ would be honored through us.